Hebrews chapter 11, and we're in verse 7. And as we just kind of get reminded of what's happening as God's sending this letter to this group of um, Jewish believers, most likely, who have been persecuted in their synagogues, have come to worship Jesus Christ, and now they've lost state sanctions, protection, and, um, and the, the community of believers have abandoned them, or they've had to abandon them. They've our property has been plundered. Their lives have been put at danger. Some have been cast in prison. There's more persecution coming when Nero comes on. And the author of Hebrews through the Spirit obviously knows these things. And there's lots of people in the church that are walking away. I mean, you can imagine, you know, how much does it take? One of the things we've seen in the, our time of the coronavirus and the lockdowns and um, the fear that's involved, some of it right and some of it wrong. Um, the churches, it's, some people have um, found this to be a perfect time to say, all right, I won't go anymore. Just sort of disappear into the distance or find another church or something like that for whatever reason, not willing to do the hard stuff. Um, but this is a call to do the hard stuff. And then we've also seen the church, new people coming. So that's been good. There's been reports from all my pastor friends about how, much, how many people have been visiting. So that's a, a very good thing, that God, God is at work. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying here is remain faithful. Don't leave Christ, because if you leave Christ, there's nowhere else to go. All you have left is condemnation. All you have left is judgment. You know, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. And that's the beginning of Hebrews where he just goes through and talks about, you know, the greatness, the superiority of Jesus Christ. And then continually throughout the letter of Hebrews, we see these warnings um, as he's encouraging people to stay faithful. He's also warning people not to walk away. Um, he's warning them not to abandon the faith because there is judgment. And so then we get to um, Hebrews chapter 10, as he's given a warning, um, of, like in 10.26. He says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. I mean, it doesn't take much imagination to see. That's a pretty strong warning of judgment. And so we have that judgment. And that's not just a warning to people who are, are in the church and who may walk away. It's a warning you know, for people who aren't in the church at all. And this is certainly what they have um, to deal with. But there's, there's a judgment to come. But in verse 39 of chapter 10, he says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so again... You know, we're not necessarily saying your body is not going to be attacked and hopefully grow old and die, or maybe you just are under persecution. Who knows what may happen? But it's the preservation of our souls that's important. This life is fleeting. One of the reasons people have been returning to church or um, investing more in church are the people who are of faith and have recognized what I think 
maybe Ecclesiastes, it says somewhere in the Bible, it says, um, teach us to number our days. Teach us to know that we are limited in time. And the recognition of the fact that this, compared to eternity, is like this, but it has eternal matters are at place and eternal weight of glory is at work during this time. And to think that this small amount of time is what determines people's eternal existence and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, then we need to be preachers of the gospel. And so the question would be, okay, how does one preach the gospel? And you might think, well, that's simple enough, but, you know, I guess you can say the devil is in the details, but it's, you know, in what manner is it presented? And so we have different churches that present the gospel in different ways. Maybe it's the same gospel, but it can be packaged in different ways. And um, to be more attractive, some churches might even pre um, preach the gospel to make it much less attractive, just so, you know, people don't have faults. Um, assurances of salvation, false professions of faith. So you have to be careful of, of doing either one of those things. Um, but what we do have to be is we have to be clear about what the gospel is, and it's a gospel of salvation. And so there's been these um, reporters, different people have walked around. Everybody has a phone and a camera and a microphone now, so who knows what they are. Walking around and would say, oh, at Christian conferences, and to ask people that are either speakers or have these different booths, different ministries set up, and they'll say, we all know that Jesus saves, right? Yes. What are we saved from? What is a Christian believer saved from? And then the answers are like all over the place. You know, and it's just like, and, and typically they're not very good answers. You know, saved from myself, saved from my sorrows, saved from the world, saved from, you know, it's like, well, and you're saved from your sin. Right. And you're saved from the wrath of God. And that's something that we're going to see. And this is what this sermon is about. It's about Noah. This is almost people know the story of Noah. I'm excited about this. If you're here today or listening today, it's God has you here listening um, for a purpose. And so we need to make sure we give attention to this because God has led us to this place. But there is judgment. There's the wrath of God. So that the, the gospel is that um, there is wrath for sin. God is holy. We are not. The demand is holiness. And God will punish the wicked. And that will require an eternal punishment. The good news is God has provided a way from, for us to be saved from his wrath. What else do we need to be saved for? There are even people who will say that, well, God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves to hell. Like, eh, yeah, kind of. But, you know, you don't. It's, it's, he's the one that pronounces the judgment. He's not going to say he made us do this, but it's going to be he is the one who pronounces the judgment. It is his wrath, which is hell. And so we have to be saved. Who could possibly save us from the wrath of God? If God is after you, who are you going to go to? And it's only God himself. So God has to save us from himself, from his wrath. And so his own right arm sends salvation, as the Bible tells us. So he sends his son, the very son of God, to absorb the wrath of God, to experience the wrath of God fully and completely, so that the holy God, the Son of God, can on the cross say, forgive them, they don't know what they do. That 
I am dying in their place. For those who have faith in me, since Adam died and represented the entire human race, those who now believe in the second Adam can be hidden in me, and now I represent all of them, so that we're adopted out of Adam's race into Christ's race because he was fully man and fully God, truly man, truly God, died for us, and he was the only one that could possibly do this. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all planned this from all eternity so that those who believed in him would not perish but have eternal life, so that God saves us by himself from himself, and for what purpose? For his glory. So he saves us from himself, by himself, for himself. So what is the chief end of God? What is the primary primary purpose for which we were created? To glorify him, and then to enjoy him forever. And the enjoying of him should start now, but we have to have faith. How are we going to persevere through difficulties, whatever they may be, if you don't have faith. And even in this section, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, must faith that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. And with what does he reward us? Himself. Okay, so if you're thinking, well, he rewards me, hmm, what could God reward me with? And you name all these things, and if it's not God, you got little idols you've mentioned. Because if you come to God for money, God's not your God, money is. So you have to be very careful with that. And so he rewards us with himself. And so with that, verse 39, chapter 10, 39, we are not of those who shrink back. And are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, remember that, things not seen. Verse 2, for by it the people of old received their commendation. He's talking about all these Old Testament people. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things that are visible so things unseen so there's nothing god created all things of nothing that's how the bible starts in the beginning god and if there was ever a time when there was nothing then there'd still be nothing because out of nothing nothing comes so that's the clearest evidence for god that i believe you can find but he made everything out of nothing and so when we look forward and we see nothing, remember, God can create out of nothing. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as, righteousness, as righteous. So he was commended as righteous through his sacrifice, but he only had a sacrifice by faith, so it was Cain's faith. I'm sorry, Abel's faith that caused him to be able to be commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch, when he was taken up so that he should not see death, he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. How did he please God? And in Genesis it said he walked with God. How did he walk with God? By faith, we're told here. 
So there's a lot of sermons, a lot of stories, Bible stories we do. There's lots of times maybe even we teach these um, blike sermons. And you've heard blike sermons. They're like, oh, look at David. Be like David. Like David. You know, here's Noah doing these things. Be like Noah. Um, or, or any person in the Old Testament that you might see, or any person from, I mean, I, like, I love the story of Polycarp, which I don't have time to get into now, but he was an early church father who was um, elderly, persecuted for his faith, stands before the arena, and I mean, look him up, it's really amazing in, in um, Rome, and, he, and they're trying to get him to deny your faith, he says, they'd say, um, say away with the atheists, because Christians were considered atheists because they only worshiped one God, they wouldn't worship the pantheon of gods, and so he'd say, away with the atheist, away with the atheist. So Polycarp stands and looks at everybody cheering on and says, away with the atheist, and talks about them. And he ends up uh, being burned at the stake. And um, the story is they even had a lot of, I just love the story of Polycarp. But, you know, they had trouble getting the wood to light and all these things. And he's it's just, you know, the great, when they come to arrest him, they're amazed at how old he is and they don't want to do it. And he says, well, can I pray before we go? And he prays for hours. Which, you know, is a good excuse to keep him being arrested. But it's just, he's just prayed, and they, and they were, didn't want to, and they're pleading with him the whole time, please just say Caesar is Lord. Please just say Caesar is Lord. Why are you doing it? He's like, God has been with me these 80 and 4 years, and he's never abandoned me. How can I now abandon him? It's just faith by faith. And so you can be, you know, be like Polycarp. It's like. I can't be like Polycarp. You say, I can't be like Polycarp. I can't even get through the morning getting my kids dressed without saying, you know, something that's sinful coming out of my mouth. You know, it's difficult. But by faith, these things are possible. And so what we learn from early church martyrs and people who even are martyred and are forced to deal with things today, it's like God gives grace when you need it. It's, it's like maybe right now you feel like your faith is little. And that's shamed us. We need to strengthen it. You've got to lay that foundation before the, you know, the winds come. But the foundation of the rock is Jesus Christ, and that's by faith. And so it, pray that we'd be amazing examples of faithful people when the strong, difficult things occur. But he who is faithful in little will be faithful in a lot. So you have to be very careful. If you're not faithful in little things, then when something big comes, you know, if I can't trust you with a dollar, I'm not going to turn my checking account over to you. So it's that kind of thing. You know, you've got to be faithful in the smaller things, and then God continually um, um, deal, deals with us in these ways. So and then we get to um, verse 9. Sorry, 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then our verse for today. All that was introduction. I do have my timer going. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark, for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So by faith he becomes an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so everybody knows pretty much, imagine, the story of Noah. It's many, um, I mean Noah's if you're 
Jewish or Christian or even Islamic, you, you know the story of, of, of Noah. And then outside of this world, of the religious world, I'm just surprised if people don't know, but I've been surprised by more things. But, but Noah, you know, we know what, what he did. And, um, it's a true story. This stuff really happened. And you're like, how is it possible? And it's like, we don't have time for that right now. But there's um, God, with, all, with God all things are possible. And um, there's, there's many reasons to believe this is true, not the least of which that God said it was true. So what I want to look at is why did God send the flood? You know, why did God wipe out the entire human race except for one household? Again, a household being one of the, the, founding, the foundational um, things of, salv- of, um, of culture. So you have government, you have church, and you have households. And this is a, a foundational thing. Your household should be like a little church. Your household should be um, with the father functioning as a priest and the mother functioning as this matriarchal um, person who's helping the father to, to lead and to, to worship so that the family comes before the Lord so that the children are raised up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, knowing how to pray, learning how to pray. Hopefully one day they're asked to give their testimony for, you know, when did you come to Christ and your children, or maybe you were able to say yourself, but they'll one day be able to say, there was never a time when I did not know Jesus. Jesus Christ. I don't remember a time when I went from not knowing him to knowing him. Now there will come a time when they, as they get older and older and they go through more and more things as we all do, our faith is strengthened and we come to know God. You know, when I was a child, I thought I was a child, but when I got older I put away childish things and I thought like a man. So your faith um, grows from one from you know grace to grace and so that's what should happen with our children our households our households are important things in the eyes of God and God saves this household because it doesn't say that Noah's family Noah's household um, was righteous although we can assume that they were since they're under his headship but it was Noah the representative head of his family here Noah was found to have faith why did God send the flood? So hold your place here. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Just for us to be reminded. Maybe you never actually have read that before, but let's just look at this briefly and, and see, you know, why would God do this? So Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. It's um, after this... In, Genesis 5 talks about the uh, Adam's descendants, and it goes all the way, gets us to Noah... And in the midst of that, we have um, you know, creation, we have um, Cain and Abel, and we have Enoch, too, and these people that have been mentioned in Hebrews. And then we get to Noah, um, and it says in chapter 6, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever for his flesh, for he is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. And that's translated, interpreted in many different ways, but the, the one I follow and the thing that makes the most sense and most scholars are following is it probably he's pronounced 120 years and there's going to be judgment. And so the ark building is taking place over the course of 120 years. This is before the flood. Lifespans were much greater because of a lot of things that were different on the earth before a global worldwide flood. And then God begins to um, um, 
make man's, the lifespan of people much shorter. It may be because of what happens when we're able to live so long, we become more and more evil. And then there's this thing of the Nephilim. Oh my goodness. I'd tell you not to Google that and see all the weird stuff, but you're going to do it now, so whatever. Um, try to find good teachers to help you in that direction. We don't have time for it now. We're on the face of the earth, big bad guys, okay? And afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men of, who were of old, the men of renown. Okay, this is the, where we're going to be. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually now we might say well, okay that's the way people are now eh, you know we're maybe a lot of people are like that okay there are some people and I, i'm sure it's true that every intention of their heart is only evil continually but this says Wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. I mean, that's widespread, everybody. And the Lord was, imagine what that would look like, okay? I mean, it's, it's specifically violence is brought out here, but there's lots of other evil, too. And most of it can all be um, exhibited in some form or fashion as being violent, um, in verse 6, and the Lord was sorry. King James used the word repented. Um, but we have a little connotation with repented that we think means I've sinned and now I'm sorry I've sinned. But that's not what he's saying. He's just saying if you, if you it's called a, um, anthropomorphism, where you, it's like Bambi is made out to be like a, a person. And so when Bambi dies, it's like, oh, my goodness. And so I think... Um, hunting went down for a very long time after that so you know you're killing Bambi so that's the kind of thing so if God is talking about himself and relating his thoughts to us then what he says is that we can relate to I'm sorry I even made man that's what he's communicating going to communicate to Noah I'm sorry that I even made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart Okay, it's kind of poetic language so that we can understand. This is what God is thinking. It grieved God to his heart that he had even made man. So he is ready to completely end it all. So the Lord said, I will blot out man with whom I, ha whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. I know you just read ahead, but still, just stop there a second. If that's it, there's nobody here to read this. If that was it, this didn't get recorded. If that was it, that was it. And why was that not it? Why was that not it? It wasn't because God said, you know, we're told why. Because there's but Noah. But Noah. Noah found favor or King James says, grace in the eyes of the Lord. So in the Lord's heart, he wants to destroy everyone. He's sorry he's ever created them. And then there's Noah, and he finds this, in, his, in Hebrew it's hain. It's also the word for grace. So it's this word favor or grace. This, it's almost, it, it's this undeserved blessing that's put on somebody else. 
so that Noah finds favor in the eyes of God. Noah finds grace. So Noah could have justly been condemned too. So I don't think Noah was as bad as the rest of mankind, but it wasn't his righteousness that caused him to be saved. It was the fact that he had faith in God. He believed in God. He had some sort of communion with God even before this. He was a worshiper of God. He was a descendant of Adam and Cain and Enoch and Seth. All of these people had handed down their faith. And so that he would have lived with these people for certain periods of time. But this was a faith that was handed down to Noah. And if it was not for Noah, if God had not said, but one man. And so what we see here is the gospel being presented. Because ultimately, Noah only finds pain. He only finds grace or favor because of the one who will come and allow that to be credited to him because he didn't have a perfect righteousness after the flood he has some problems Noah's not a perfect man but he had faith and that made him stand out and God used him to continue the line all the way to Jesus Christ so that we would be saved from this wrath to come this is all just a picture of the gospel and then it goes through and says now in verse 9 in Genesis 6, these are the generations of Noah. And if you skip down to, um, well, let's stay there a second. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now Job is called blameless. This doesn't mean the same thing as absolutely sinless perfection. But it means that in God's eyes, because of his faith, that he did walk it's the same sense in which we are called saints. We are called the holy ones. We can be called if the righteous shall, the prayer of the righteous avails much. So we can be righteous, especially in Christ. We're called to walk differently from the world. Righteousness should dictate our steps. It should be something we strive greatly for. And it said, Noah walked with God. That's what it said of Enoch, walking with God. Remember, walking with God. You're not running ahead of him, assuming he's going there. You're not falling behind where you've dabbled and been distracted by something. You're not going over there to the side. You're not turning to this to the side. You're walking with him. And that's what it means to, to walk in righteousness. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth. And behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. And he goes through and he gives detailed instructions on how to make an ark. Verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And he goes on from there and talks about that. But he makes this covenant. And what is a covenant? A covenant is a 
promise that God sets up and establishes by his word. And so he has to look at this. And then he gives a covenant, he gives a sign. And what's the sign of the covenant with Noah? We call it the Noahic covenant. What's the, the sign of that, of that covenant? A rainbow. Uh, yeah, a rainbow. It's a battle bow. That's the type of bow we're talking about. So it's like you, you have a bow, you pull it back, and it bends. And then what happens when you let it go? Pow! The arrow flies, and it kills who is the arrow pointed at? God. So God says, if I don't keep this covenant, I will be undone. Pointing toward the new covenant. Where Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. So that God was undone. He died on the cross. This is the amazing thing. How could God in Christ die? How can God die? God can't die. Jesus died. God incarnate. In our place, he says, I've died. That arrow pointed at me, and it's pointed at each of us. As Jonathan Edwards says, God has his arrow pulled back at each of us. The justice of God, only thing holding it back is just a slight release, and we are undone, and that could happen at any second, and it justly so. But God, Jesus, for the believers, said, I will take that. And he took that. His blood was spilled for us. So there's no more condemnation. The bow has been released. The arrow went into Christ. There is still a bow pointing, an arrow pointing at those outside of Christ. And they will experience the wrath and curse of God. This is a warning. This is a judgment. This should be a part of what is taught and what is preached by churches and by us as we're out into the world. Why would anybody want to come to Jesus? We just tell them there's a thing we used to talk about a while back where it's like, come out, your house is on fire. And so you go to them, but you don't tell them the house is on fire, you just tell them to come out. I don't want to tell them the house is on fire, that could be offensive to them. But I tell them, come into my house. It's better over here. I got a bigger TV. Well, they don't want to, it was a fine whatever. You know, so if you, you're going down the road, somebody's house is on fire, you don't just go and try to convince them that they should come out because you got something better for them. You say, your house is on fire. Come to salvation. And we had a, a deacon that was here years ago, and he says, you're not going to believe this. I was actually riding down the road the other day, and I saw somebody's house was on fire. <laughs> I pulled in, and I literally said, hey, your house is on fire. He's just like shrubs or something was out front and was about to catch the house. It was Brian Stone. He said, um, you know, he actually told somebody the house was on fire. It was like he didn't go up and say, hey, can it interest you in coming outside? You know, so you have to tell people your house is on fire. And there's a way of salvation. And so this is what happens with, with Noah. And so if you look at Matthew 24, so go to, you know, First book of the New Testament, Matthew, almost to the very end, Matthew 24, verse 36. Um, Jesus is predicting, they've asked him to say, you know, when's the end of the age, when's the end of time, when are you returning? And um, so in verse 36, he's talking about this end of time thing. Um, he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only, as were the days of Noah. You remember the days of Noah? The other thing that was going on was this. And it says, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, 
marrying and giving in marriage. Well, wait a minute. You just said that every intention was evil. Yeah, every thought and intention of their hearts was always only evil, but they were going on like business as usual. You know, you might come. It's like, oh, well, I'm not that bad, so I see this and I can't believe it. But you're in the midst of a culture. You don't get it. You don't see it. And so they were all like this. They, then they were going about their business. And here's Noah. And it says, until the day when Noah entered the ark. But, you know, here's Noah. And Noah's told there's going to be a flood, global worldwide flood. You know, I'm going to kill everybody with a flood. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> okay, you're going to believe God because it's God. And he says, but I'm not going to make a covenant with you. I'm making a promise with you that I'm not going to kill you. You're going to build this ark. So you've got a couple things going on with your faith. One, you've got to really believe there's judgment coming. And two, you've got to really believe that he's going to save you from that judgment. And in three, you've got to really believe that God's going to save you by building this ark. So you've got to believe there's a future thing coming. In the meantime, you've got work to do. And it could have been that this was a 120-year effort that's taking place. And, I mean, you're talking about building things like you do in Haiti. You chop down a tree. The first chop of the axe, the first strike of the axe was an act of faith. An act of faith, and it cried out judgment on everybody else because what Noah said was, I believe judgment's coming. I believe everybody's going to be killed except for my family in this ark, and if I don't get the work, it's going to happen, and I'm going to be called up in it too. And so he's got work to do. So he has to be at work. And then people have to come up to him. Yeah, what, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? Well, it's like a ship. It's like a box. It's kind of shaped. Oh. Try land. Yeah, it's like seeing somebody that has a big old um, um, yacht in their yard, but they don't have a, a any way to pull it or anything, and there's no water or anything. It's like he's building this big thing out. Like, How you gonna? You can't get it to the water. You know, they're not realizing the water is going to come to it. And this is tremendous, this is ginormous. And so they're like, as it continues, 120 years. Yeah, what are you doing, Bill Nard? Why are you doing that? And what do you say? God told me to, and leave it at that? Or do you say, God's going to send a uh, wrath. He's, he's going to kill all y'all. He's going to send a flood, and the only way to be saved is to be in his ark. And he says he's going to save my family, but not you guys. <laughs> or do you say, repent. You need to stop the way you're believing. God's going to send this judgment upon you. But their response to it all is just like, yeah, it's got to be mockery, laughing. What are you doing building arts? Ridiculousness. But to continue for so long without seeing a drop of rain, I mean, maybe it rained, but without seeing any indication it's really happening. I mean, you're doing this thing in the midst of a wicked and sinful generation. You're called to do it. Christ will build his church. This ark is the church. There are a lot of churches that have the ceiling that looks like the, the hull of a, like you're inside of a ship of some sort. So the, the church is a type of ark where people come in and are saved, but we're told to go out and gather people to bring them in. But there's a judgment coming. And we had to believe there's a judgment coming. But there's a salvation available. But we had to believe there's a salvation available. And in the meantime, we've got to be about his business. We've got to be about faithfully doing things. And this is what he's talking about in Hebrews. It's like you've got to be faithful. Don't you walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah, it doesn't appear that there's judgment coming. It's delaying a long time. But God's building something. He's building something. He's waiting for the right time. He's waiting for everything to happen. But one day it will. And we're to be about doing these things. So back to Matthew 24. 
So they were doing all these things, carrying on business as usual until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until a flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken by the waters of judgment, and one will be left. Two women will be be grinding in the mill, one will be taken in the waters of judgment, and one will be left. Therefore, I say to you, stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man will come in time and hour you do not expect. He's calling us to this kind of faith. And then one more place, Second Peter chapter 2. So it's a little back toward Revelation, Second Peter chapter 2. This is verses 1 through 5 right here. 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 5. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and it goes on, that he will do the same today. And then back to Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God, as we have been warned, concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Christ is building his church. We're supposed to be about that with him. Noah told his sons what to do. Jesus tells his brothers and sisters what to do. We're to be faithfully doing it. Matthew 28, go into the world, making disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. And you're baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. And he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And he was laughed at. But it was true. So we have to say, do we recognize the seriousness of the warnings? Do we, by faith, remain? So that by faith we are to remain. By faith we are to trust and believe. By faith we are to obey and to follow. By faith we are to work with Christ in the building of the church. He will build his church. Noah looked forward, and we look forward, but we also look back to the cross. And when we come to the Lord's table, he says, this is where salvation is. And if you're in me, I am in you. 
But there is judgment to come. For those who are outside of me, there is judgment to come. And we're to be faithful and we're to be at work. Let's pray. Father God, we, we pray that you would please convict us of these truths more and more. Give us more faith to be able to endure. Um, just as Noah was building an ark, um, every hammer of every nail thunderously um, shouting out judgment to come. Um, we know that there are every word of the gospel, every deed we do in faith, every action the church takes shouts out loudly and boldly to those who are under condemnation of the judgment to come. And Satan does all that he can to stop the sound of it. And the world does what it can to stop the sound of it. Our flesh does what it can to stop the sound of it. So help us not to be ones who, out of fear, put masks over our mouths in order to stop our mouths from shouting out the gospel. Help us to be those who boldly, in love, not desiring that any should perish, but that in love we would warn people of the wrath to come. And the beauty of Christ and the salvation that's in Christ, that this sure is true, is promised. And Lord, there are people who have blasphemously taken the symbol of the rainbow and use it for their their calls, Lord, and how great a judgment is there. So please help us to remember your great covenant promises are for the church, but that you have given the church the only message that can save. So that if we don't call sin, sin, it's just like Noah saying, not everybody is going to be called up in the flood. If you're, if you, if you're a good person, you're going to be okay. And we're told today there are none who are good, no, not one. Outside of Christ, there's no salvation. But in Christ, there is only salvation. And there's salvation in no other name but Christ. And it's only through the Father that anyone comes to you. Help us, God, to proclaim that boldly and to live it so that we might say we walk with you too. Help us to help one another to do this. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.